This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 122 with guest Jenny Fennig. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 122. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited that you are here. Before we get started and jump into the interview with that, I'm very excited to introduce you today to our guest. I have one quick announcement, and that is about a retreat, my next retreat that is opening for registration this coming Monday, October the 24th. I am co-hosting it with my best friend and colleague, Miss Amy Smith. She's been a guest several times here on the podcast. She's also known as the Joy Junkie. We are teaching our signature program that we've taught many years in the past, always online. This is the first time that we are offering it live and in person, hashtag IRL. We are going to do that this coming spring. So registration opens up on Monday. It will sell out. We are capping it at 20 women. We want to keep this small and intimate, and it is in Asheville, North Carolina, which is right near where I live. It's four days. I would love to have you here. It's amazing. It's going to be so fun. So anyway, if you want to make sure that you are on the first to be notified list and you don't receive my emails already. If you already receive my emails, you will get the notification this coming Monday that the doors have opened. But if you don't get my emails, you can simply sign up by texting the word kickass, it's all one word, to 444-999 to make sure you are the first to know. Real quick, we are going to talk about topics on this retreat such as your self-talk which is always talking about that over here on the podcast. We are going to dig deep into that. We're going to talk about forgiveness, forgiving others, self-forgiveness. We're going to talk about emotions. We are going to talk about worthiness. And I just can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Also on this particular episode, you will hear Jenny and I talk about a lot of different things and kind of towards the end, we will talk about Jenny's decision to get sober. And if you haven't already been listening to the recovery series that started a few weeks ago, I've rolled out a handful of episodes that are specifically on the topic of sobriety and recovery, more specifically in alcoholism. Although in some of the interviews, we talk about a few other things. You can find all of those episodes. They are still on the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, wherever you subscribe, wherever you listen. But also there's a special page on the website where you can see them all and you can easily share them. So that's at yourkickasslife.com forward slash recovery. Super easy peasy. That's where those specific recovery episodes are going to be housed from now on. Are you ready to get started? Okay, before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. 
Jenny Fennick is a brand strategy coach to spiritual entrepreneurs ready to boost your message, reach, and faith. Through Jenny's courses, coach training school, podcast, and book, Get Gutsy, she guides you to cash in on your calling. Her husband and three children make the journey sweet. Yoga, hiking, writing, meditation, and travel keep her sane. And so without further ado, here is Jenny. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here and letting me into your world for this next about an hour. And I have someone on today that I just, I'm so grateful that she's here. She has such an incredible story. Miss Jenny Fennick is here. Hey, Jenny. Hi there, Andrea. So (laughs) pumped to be here with you today. I am just so excited to have this conversation. I have so many juicy questions to ask you. And I want to start with, so you had a career, you were like climbing the corporate ladder and then you switched over to like being a yogi and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, what happened? I'm really interested in what made you realize that you needed to seek a new path. Did you have like a breaking point? What happened? Yeah, it was an accumulation of a lot of different things, but yeah, I was driven to one of the most intense yet exciting places in the world to start my career, that was New York City. And I didn't grow up in the tri-state area. That's kind of like the area around New York City. It's called the tri-state area. I didn't grow up around there. So it wasn't like, well, of course you would go to New York City, Jenny. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Florida and Georgia. So going to New York was like a big deal. That was a like, wow, I was doing it. And I was leaving a lot of people, quote, behind, you know, mm-hmm. when I when I embarked on that journey, just really listened to the call of my soul. But it was to pursue a career in public relations. And New York is pretty much the capital of PR in the United States. So it made logical sense, you know, for an ambitious gal like myself. And I just... You know, I found myself, you know, working on big clients, big budgets, traveling the world, kind of having this, what I thought was my dream, you know, going on. But after many, many, a late night, (laughs) lots of office pizza being consumed because when you worked, you know, until a certain hour, you were fed either pizza or subs, Mm -hmm. which looking back, it was like eating crap. It was like eating like cardboard with cheese on it. But anyway, I just would reach this point of like, is this it? Like this can't be it. This Mm -hmm. can't be it. And I had trauma as a teenager. My sister died when I was a teenager. So I have a unique constitution. I have a unique lens on life knowing this could all be over today, you know, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I can't Mm -hmm. just go through the motions. I sometimes wish that I could, you know, like, God, I wish I could just go through the motions here. I wish I could just kind of ignore what I know, but I don't have that option because I know some things. So I eventually just changed careers from PR into a field I didn't even know existed, which was called conference production. That's what gave me a taste of entrepreneurship entrepreneurship because I got a cut of the profits of my events and I started figuring out how to do it well. And I started having really profitable events, but yet that job, although I had, you know, the opportunity to learn from big speakers who are on my stages, like Tony Robbins and Colin Powell and Malcolm Gladwell and some interesting people like that kind of just kept getting that inner voice nudge saying, Jenny, this isn't quite right. You know, this isn't quite right. And it was during that first career, actually, that I started getting into yoga and it started helping me make healthier choices, Andrea. Mm-hmm. I used to be a binge drinker and dabbled in drugs in high school, but you know, more intensely in college. And the drinking was, you know, it was my first week in a freshman year of high school. I started mm-hmm. drinking and I loved it. You know, like that buzz and just that feeling of inclusiveness, you know, yeah. with the cool crowd was like, I'm in. And once I discovered yoga, 
it made me think twice about what I was putting into my body. It made me think twice about the thoughts I was thinking and who I was tolerating and the situations and everything. And so the more that I just would commit to a practice, at first it was, you know, once a week, right? Like that Saturday morning. And it made me not want to go out and get shit faced Friday night because I wanted to get up Saturday morning mm-hmm. and go to yoga. Because the yoga class made me feel so great. I just started committing and listening to my body, taking better care of my body. That towards the end of that second career, I was at a real breaking point. I was at this place of like, this isn't sustainable. This can't continue. I'm making more money than I ever thought I would make like ever in my life. I was married at that point. And I just had this place of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like I've made it in every career. I've made it. <laughs> but I can't keep going like this. This doesn't work for me. Yeah. I wish it did. It doesn't. If it did, I could just keep on going. But again, it's that thing, that perspective I had because I had a sister die when I was a teenager. And then my best friend's brother died six months later. And then that best friend died like a year and a half later. I had three deaths oh in gosh. three years. Yeah. From the age of 16 to 19, I have a very unique perspective. I can't just tolerate things being like, it's all right. You know, yeah. I just can't. And so I, at that point of like, something's got to give, I decided to sign up for a yoga teacher training and I did it while I was employed full time in New York city. Mm-hmm. And it was towards the end of that three month, 200 hour training that I went into work one day, not planning to quit that day. I had planned it many times and talked myself out of it, but that particular day, it was just like, boom, the, mm-hmm. like, the, the clouds parted. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This was the day. I always wondered what it was going to look like. And it was on that day that I, I submitted my resignation that next day, because this was on a Friday, that next day I had a full weekend yoga teacher training. I knew I had a safe space to land that weekend of people who would get it. And that was it. It was just kind of this like, it was my extrication from a life that wasn't for me. Yeah. It's not for me. Okay. Well, that kind of like tells into another question that I wasn't planning on, on asking, but I'm going to ask anyway. Cause I, you know, it's, it's funny. I just had a conversation with someone else that I was interviewing for the recovery series. And she was talking about how important yoga is for her. And I have kind of joked about it here on the podcast and my blog that I have this tumultuous relationship with yoga. I keep breaking up with yoga and getting back together, like hoping that it's going to be right for me. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> Right now, like as I, as we're recording this, it's September, and I have committed to thirty days of yoga. I'm going to do yoga for thirty days in a row, and nice. God damn it, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. Like, yeah. So tell me in your words, like, what is it? Because I'm mm-hmm. waiting for like the, the thing. You know, yeah. To me, it's just it's boring. It's just it's just <laughs> stretching. To me, it's just stretching. What style are you doing? Like, All of them. Like, oh. I'm doing like. Hot, but I can't do the hot one because it makes Bikram, that's okay. That's okay. Me. I understand like that. And ast- what is it? Ashtanga. Ashtanga. And Have you tried done- vinyasa? Is that the one that's like, it flows into yes, one? Okay, that's flow. the one I probably like the best. Oh my God. Okay. So the ones that you just described, no offense to those forms of yoga, but they are boring. Yeah. <laughs> so I was certified in vinyasa, which is movement coordinated with the breath. That's what vinyasa means. It's mm-hmm. flow. And the, you know, my favorite vinyasa classes have like really great music, very just inspiring teachers. So my favorite teachers were like, you know, they're just spiritual teachers just in a movement class basically. So my favorite form of yoga is still vinyasa. Although I have to tell you, Andrea, and for all you listeners out there who may be open, kundalini yoga, if you have that in your area, or if you don't, like when you travel to seek it out, that is my newest 
love in terms of yoga. So I have a healthy mix of vinyasa mixed with kundalini Mm -hmm. and kundalini is really it's like the yoga of energy it's the idea that we all have these like a serpent asleep at the base of our spine and that serpent is our shakti energy in the world it's kind of like how we show up in the world and so when we do kundalini which is a lot of chanting it's not like super sweaty it's intense like some of my the hardest class i've ever taken have been kundalini where i'm just you know moving my arms shaking my arms for like three minutes and you feel like your arms are about to fall off sort of thing so that type of yoga has absolutely cracked me open and i know for one of my teachers gabby bernstein who also, you know, is very public with her recovery journey. She was really not into yoga at all. I could not find her way there until she found Kundalini. Mm -hmm. So that might be. It's on, I'm, I actually, I signed up for yoga glow and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for anybody that's interested in it. And it's free for the first two weeks. And because it has, you can pick, it's really cool. You can like pick from all the different kinds of yoga and and Kundalini's on there and there's different teachers and you can like sort and filter really easy like Zappos. I didn't know about that. Shoes, mm-hmm. but yeah, yoga glow. It's yoga like Zappos, but for yoga. Yeah. Okay. So I think I just still need to just like stick with it. I'll yeah. Everybody stick with it. it. Vinyasa, Kundalini, and you got to just find the teacher. I mean, in the core of yoga, it doesn't matter who your teacher is because like you are the ultimate teacher. You are your own guru. Mm-hmm. But I found that I definitely vibe better with certain teachers than others. So, okay. you know, hop around and find all your right. find your class, find your person. Now, are you doing these all online or are you going to some in person? No, I'm doing them all online. You know, I have my yoga mat. I take my time and my space and yeah. Okay. If you're open to, I find like the studio setting for me is crucial. It's like, there's a sense of like Sangha, the community, mm-hmm. you know, like the people who show up for that. So that's been a big piece for me. I, I haven't gotten into yoga online. I know some people like that. They love it. It's like the best option. I know for me, it's like not yoga at a gym either. It's yoga in a studio, like straight. There's just, it's like you're walking into this sacred blissful bubble spot with people who are similar to you. And I think a lot of them also have had, you know, addictive backgrounds. They battled certain things, traumas and yoga. Like I saw actually, what's his name? Russell Simmons, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, he posted on Instagram recently. He's like, you know, people say like yoga is all for like the, like the, the blissful, like calm people's like, no, we're, we're just all the ones with like all the crazy shit going down. And like, yeah. that's why we're at yoga. Because- that's why I'm trying it. Cause I have all the crazy shit going down. Yes, exactly. I want to find my serpent in my spine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so keep me posted on keep that. Keep me posted on on if I find my serpent. But, you know, we just kind of touched briefly on recovery and we've been talking about it a lot over here on the podcast. So I'm interested in your story. Like, why did you decide to release alcohol from your life? Like, what did your quote unquote rock bottom look like? Yeah, I think my rock bottom is maybe different than what other people's rock bottoms might look like. But that's just what it is for me. So I released alcohol from my life in May of 2015. And you know, it wasn't like I was big time drinking at that point. It become a real problem. It wasn't a problem quote at all. It was prior to me meeting my husband and I met him in like 2003. Mm-hmm. So 2003 to 2015, before I met Steven, all my relationships, all my romantic relationships were rooted in some kind of substance, mm-hmm. right? Either alcohol or kind of like classic one in New York. And then my later years in college was ecstasy. Like mm-hmm. that was absolutely my drug of choice. And it was because it was a great numbing mechanism for the pain I was feeling, you yeah. know, related to 
the deaths in my life. So ecstasy was giving me a synthetic feeling that I like was desperate for. Like, please, I want connection. I want feel good. I don't want to feel grief. So the ecstasy absolutely kind of helped me through that time. Although I realized actually through the yoga, because when I went through my yoga teacher training, I had that feeling on the last day of the training, we did this really cool ritual. And I looked at one of my friends who I met through the training, who I knew had kind of a party background like me. And I looked at her, I was like, this was the feeling, wasn't it? Like, this was it. And she goes, yeah. And she's like, but better. I go, yeah, better. Because it was real. You know, oh, it wasn't mm-hmm. synthetic. So for me, when I met Steven, I realized, wow, like the jig is up because this guy was not a partier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was good. like, oh, wait, I can't do this anymore if I actually want to have a relationship that doesn't just freaking self-destruct. Yeah. So I cleaned up my act just on my own when I met him, which I'm really grateful I was able to do a really, you know, through the grace of God, through the inspiring just guidance of my sister. I still feel her presence all the time. But it was May of last year that, you know, just even like the glass of wine here or there, you know, going out to social functions saying, okay, I'm going to have some wine. Like, I just realized, Andrea, for where my work was going, where I was being called to go as a spiritual business leader, as someone who really channels spirit and, you know, does work on a deep level with my clients, leads retreats, you know, interprets these downloads I get and brings them out into the world. The alcohol was just holding me back. Mm -hmm. Like even the small amounts that I was consuming, especially based on what I had in the past when, I mean, I had multiple blackouts. I could be dead. Absolutely. Like I have been saved so many times. I just realized it was time. It was time to release this little crutch that I was still holding on to. And at that point I was holding on to it because it was more like a social thing. Like, oh, well, of course one would have a glass of wine when you go out to these gatherings, especially when you're around people you don't know. Mm -hmm. I realized that it was for me, it allowed me to feel more comfortable in social situations because I may come off as very extroverted, but I'm really an introvert. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm an extroverted introvert. Like I can get along in any situation. I can talk to somebody, but I very much thrive on like super deep, meaningful conversations. I don't do chit chat well. Cause I no. just, I don't have the space for it. I'm, I'm like, dude, you. let's talk about the real. Shit. So it just honestly, Andrea, what happened though in May, kind of the catalyst was my mentor, Allie Brown, one of my original mentors had invited me to come to this high level workshop she was leading. And it was all like super successful six and seven figure business owners, like getting close to seven figures. And I'm like, she extends the invitation to me. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, okay. Wow. Kids. Yeah. I'm like, ah, here we go. And it was right after mother's day. And a few days before that, I went to this gala for my kid's school. And I remember sitting in the car with my husband going, okay, am I going to drink tonight or not? How many glasses will I have? Cause I know I really can't have too many. Cause I don't need that much for me to go like overboard. And I literally had this signal inside of myself that said, Jenny, why do you want to drink at all? The next day's mm-hmm. mother's day. Do I even want to be hung over at all? I'm like, no, I don't want to be hung over at all on really any day. Like yeah. I don't do hangovers. Well, I figured that one out now. And then I knew I was leaving to go to this trip like the day later. And so I just said, I think I'm done. It was like this weird, wasn't like this divine angels around me or anything. It was just like, I think I'm done. Like Mm -hmm. I'm done with this chapter. And then I went to that workshop with Allie and, you know, other people are drinking at the, you know, social gathering and, 
And I just, you know, I go to my sparkling water with lime and I remember everything that I said. I don't have any like guilt or shame the next day around, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And I literally had this crazy thing happen when I was there where I saw this really interesting scene. It was after the workshop had wrapped and I went, I stayed like an extra day and I saw this woman at the bar where the restaurant where I was eating she was absolutely smashed. And I had been that woman so many times, you know, and I see her there and she's talking with some guy and her family keeps trying to come. It's not a guy who she like knew. Um, her family keeps trying to come and get her to go to leave. Cause she apparently was like married and her husband's like angry. And I'm going, Oh my God. I'm like no. witnessing just the can of worms that is getting opened right now. And it was absolutely alcohol. I mean, they just kept getting more rounds and more rounds and I'm seeing this going, that was so me. Like mm-hmm. the numbers of times that I have just done really stupid things, just really dumb, unhealthy, unsafe things under the influence. So I'm seeing it all and I'm going, I'm so glad that that's not me anymore. And mm-hmm. I was just sending her love. Like, I hope that she finds her way out of this, you know, before she does something that's, you know, you just can't change, you know, yeah. you can't fix. And then the next morning I got picked up by an Uber driver. Uber Mike, and he rolls up in his white, you know, Audi. It was actually an Audi, and I had an Audi at the time. And I was like, oh, Uber Mike and your Audi. And he ended up being like this angel because we got talking about he was driving for Uber, and he shared with me his recovery stories. Like I used to, we got on that topic, and he just told me that a lot of people he picks up are drunk, and some of them are like getting sick in his car. And we just got talking about drinking, and he told me how long he had been sober, and I told him my recent, you know, decision, and he was just celebrating me and giving me insights around that. As soon as I get on the plane, I literally was like, I had this conversation with God. I'm like, so this is what you want for me, huh, God? Like, this is it? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, this is, mm-hmm. this is it, really huh? done? Yeah. And I got that clear message from God. And, you know, for all you listeners, of use a different word if God doesn't work for you. But, you know, it's universe source love. I had that recognition that my story very much can be impactful and powerful for others who might have struggled with addiction or unhealthy patterns or behaviors. And so I basically just said, okay, I'm in. I want to be a clear channel for the message that I'm here to share, for the impact I'm here to share. And I just realized that my time with alcohol had come to an end and it was time to move forward into this next chapter. That's so interesting to me. So, because I didn't know your story at all until now. And I love that everyone that I'm talking to about this has a different quote unquote, you know, ending to their story, like their different bottom. And yesterday's podcast that came out, we heard from Holly and she has a, she has a much different story of hitting bottom. And, you know, my story is kind of in between that, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. I found myself drinking by myself in my kitchen, you know, my kids were little and I was bored and restless and, you know, had lost my identity of being independent and didn't know, didn't love being a stay at home mom. And I had just started this blog and just, you know, all the things, but didn't want to feel all my feelings. You know, the stuff that we have as humans, like being brokenhearted and, and lonely, all of, all of these things that we all have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it just was like, I got up to about a bottle of wine a night and was like, this is just going to keep getting worse. So Mm -hmm. I'm done. I mean, I didn't have any DUIs or hadn't gotten fired or hadn't, you know, lost my marriage or, or Mm -hmm. my kids respect or anything like that, which I know happens a lot. And that's the story that we hear a lot for a lot of women. They think like, well, you know, if I just have a few glasses of wine at a school function, that's really not that bad. You know, it's like, I'm not like those people over there. You know, we separate Mm -hmm. them 
you know, the rock bottoms Mm -hmm. (laughs) from ourselves. And I think there's so much shame in identifying as an alcoholic or even like having that rock bottom story. Nobody wants, I was just talking to Holly about this, like nobody wants to be known as an alcoholic, even like a person in recovery. It's still, we're still Mm -hmm. trying to change all that. So I have so many questions for you. I'm going to start with, Mm -hmm. do you feel like like, I'm actually curious, like, do you not want to, or can you not have just like go to a school function and just have one glass of wine? What would it be like for you? Absolutely could do that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, because I would do that. You know, I would be like, okay, I'll have my glass. And so I kind of, for a while, you know, I did go to some meetings, you know, mm-hmm. as I was like, okay, like kind of finding my footing around here and getting some guidance from mentors and things like that. And, you know, because I recognize that there's you know, I think in the classic sense of like alcoholism, like somebody couldn't do that. Like they couldn't Mm -hmm. just stop. I totally could stop, but I have like alcoholism absolutely runs in my family. My grandfather on my father's side, like died really, you know, through alcoholism. I never saw my dad drink. My dad never drank because of his father, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas his siblings, they did. And so they were alcoholics and they stopped, you know, they had to completely stop. And so I remember talking to my aunt about this because she was like, you know, but you could have some and then not. I'm like, yeah, like I wasn't like I had to go get smashed every single night. It was never, for me, it was like, I never quite knew though where the line was. Like when I was in the height of it, I wouldn't know like some nights, oh, I could have, you know, X number of drinks and I'd be fine. And then another night I would have those drinks and like, that was it. I'd be mm-hmm. over the edge. I mean, I blacked out a number of times and those blackouts are so scary because you don't remember. Like you don't, that is terrifying. I would never wish that on anybody. And again, just so grateful that nothing really horribly bad happened. I was saved by, again, the grace of many factors during those times. But yeah, I mean, I absolutely in these most recent years could go and have a drink and then just be like, okay, that was it. And luckily I was married to a guy who was the same way, but I would be influenced by other people around me. If my husband had been a drinker, it would have been a lot worse for me. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. see, yeah. it's because I finally was with a person who wasn't ruled by partying, who wasn't ruled by the substance. And I'm so grateful for him. He was the one who kind of stopped me in my tracks to realize, wait, actually you can be in a relationship without somebody who needs to have you know, a drink at the end of every work day mm-hmm. or because they're watching a football game or something like that. So my husband definitely helped pull me out of that path because everything I had seen up to that point with like my friendship circle was all rooted in drinking. My college that I went to drinking. Mm-hmm. I joked that we basically, I minored in drinking. Yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to that in college. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to me too, because when you were talking about that moment, you were sitting in the car getting ready to go into that event and you were kind mm-hmm. of like deciding how much to drink and like thinking about your day the next day. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not an expert at this, but to me that signals there's like at least like the beginning of a problem because mm-hmm. I think that people who don't have any history of addiction, that's mm-hmm. not who they are. It's not what they struggle with. They don't even think about those things. Like they go in, they're not even really thinking about drinking and they're like, oh, they're serving wine. Maybe I'll have a glass if I feel like making my way over to the bar. Like to mm-hmm. me, that kind of thinking to me mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you're a different species because I look yeah. like you. And I actually had gone past that and I had gone to the point where it was like, I mean, I'm, I wasn't going to decide. Like I knew I was going to drink. It wasn't a question, but, right. but it was like obsessing on it the whole time. Like, oh, yeah. you know, how much yeah. more time do we have here? Is anybody noticing how much I'm drinking? Or if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm like wishing they would stop talking so I could go and get another glass of wine. And right. that's not fun at all. 
No, (laughs) no. And I found for me, it was like, when I would start drinking, I honestly would be less of myself. Yeah. And that, like, that's the piece. Like when I started, I think as my spiritual path started getting more defined and I started committing more to that, then the drinking just became, it was like poison. I started Mm -hmm. realizing this is just like poison. This is for me. And this is for some people they can drink and it's not poison. But for me, it became poison because it just, it like diluted my ability to think clearly and see clearly. And I realized I just wasn't being my best. Mm -hmm. And I would get myself in situations that I'm like, why am I here? You know, like, why am I doing this? And I realized that it was just it was numbing. It was me thinking I like couldn't be in situations. Like I wasn't good enough to just be in the situation as just me, as just Mm -hmm. plain old Jenny, you know, like just Jenny, like Jenny wasn't good enough to be in this conversation without the alcohol doing some of my talking for me. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. I was the same way. I felt like I made the excuse, well, drinking makes me more of who I am. And that's what people love about me. Like the people, the things that people love about me just, you know, come to life when I'm drinking. And that actually wasn't true. And for me, I don't know if, if it was like this for you, but I felt like I needed to go through this really uncomfortable transition. And I mean, I'm five years in and there are still moments where again, like big social events when I'm not drinking, I kind of have to, I have to like really talk to myself and just be like, it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's sort of like this, almost like a hyper awareness of what's around me. And it's just, it's uncomfortable. I think that like people think, you know, because I'm an extrovert, like I go I walk through life awkward and uncomfortable most of the time. Like I'll be (laughs) honest, like I, and it surprises people sometimes. And to me, it's so obvious. I've been told it's not that obvious. Sometimes my husband notices it more because he Mm -hmm. knows me really well. And he's like, why are you, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm actually really uncomfortable (laughs) right now. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. The alcohol is like, it's, well, it, again, this is my, from my own experience, it was just like a partly a numbing mechanism and partly like a hyper feeling mechanism. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, Ooh, I feel more connected to the group. I feel more in with what's happening. And so for me, yeah, when I'm going to social events and I know like basically everything that's going down there is drinking and chatting that I just need to prepare, you know, I need to prepare myself and say, okay, you know, and I know that my drink of choice is just sparkling water with a lime. Mm-hmm. Like that's my go-to. I do sparkling water I... with three limes because okay. you know, for me, if one is good, then five is better. So <laughs> might as well just kick up the limes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, that makes me realize why I like my tea, my morning tea. I like this kick to it. It's called fire cider. There's no alcohol in it. It's just super like it's got spice in it. So Mm -hmm. I like, I like flavor. Like, yeah, I like flavor, but I just prepare. And then I aim to, you know, I'm like, Hey, allow me to connect in with who I'm meant to talk to, you know, Mm -hmm. like who's meant to receive my message and who I'm meant to receive theirs. And then always something really beautiful occurs. And then I've also ended up meeting others who are also, you know, quote sober walking that. And you can't always tell and you can't always know like, oh yeah, these people are definitely drinking. But, you know, I've had to kind of get used to people asking me like, well, why aren't you drinking? Like, how do you handle that, Andrea, when people, you know, like, well, wait, hold on. You're not drinking. Like, what is that? Like, I've had to, cause some people will look at me like they'll think I was a party girl. They'll think, cause I was yeah. <laughs> like, I was, I'm a reformed party girl, mm-hmm. but how do you handle when people say like, well, why aren't you, are you sure? Like, you just don't want one drink or like, 
you yeah, know, it's, well, like, it's interesting. Pl- like, we don't go out that much anymore to be in those situations. I can imagine, you know, if I had done this in my 20s or even in my early 30s, it would be a different story. But like, for instance, we moved into this neighborhood that we're in now about almost two years ago. And the first few months we were there, there was like this family, like, a you know, somebody had a barbecue. And so we went over there and it was actually it was at my next door neighbor's house. And he was this nice guy. And we were getting ready to leave and, you know, obviously I wasn't drinking and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and he'd been drinking yeah. and he's like, I have something for you. And, and he, he gets out this jar and I live in the South y'all. So, mm-hmm. so he gets out this jar and it was like a pickle jar and it was a pickle <laughs> in it. And I'm like, what is he giving me? And, and he goes, and he kind of leans over and he's like kind of whispering it, but he's drunk. So he's not whispering. And he's like, <laughs> it's a moonshine pickle. You gotta taste it. He's going to get a knife so he can like cut me a piece. And I was like, oh no, it's okay. And he's like, no, it's so good. He's like, you're new to the South. Da, da, da. And I'm like, I actually don't drink. And there was this long pause. And he looks at me. He goes, why? Like, just <laughs> like, like he couldn't even fathom. Right. Like, he just smelled like I had just farted or something. Right. He was just like, it was like the record scratched. What? He walked into the room. They're like, what? You know? I would yep. not want this moonshine pickle. Yeah. And I'm like, I can assure you that if I, you know, if I'm going to relapse, it's not going to be on a moonshine pickle. <laughs> But thank you for, no, I didn't say that, but it's tricky and it's, it is, I mean, I don't know if I even have a good answer. It's one of those things that it's a true test of standing your ground and and believing in what's best for you. And I kind of did. So my husband is also sober, but he is not an alcoholic. He's just someone, I think he's one of those people who genuinely is allergic to alcohol. He's told me some stories about drinking in his late teens and early twenties where he would get so incredibly ill that it sounds to me like it's just, it's bad. So he's just like, I was so tired of getting sick. I just don't drink. Yeah. So again, I have similar story to yours in that if I had been in my former marriage where that family, God bless them, but they love to drink, I would probably still, I might still be drinking at this day and age. But anyway, so he had told me, he's like, you know, and he went through his entire twenties, not drinking. And, and he kind of warned me, he's like, well, you know, people are going to, question it and kind of think you're weird. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yo, like I'm great. Like people will, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that people are uncomfortable. I think that's yeah. the bottom line of it. I feel like we don't get invited. I might be making that up because I mm-hmm. think people don't know. It's not that they don't like us mm-hmm. and they don't like the fact that we don't drink. I think that they don't know how to act around us. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, should we ask them? Like, are they yeah. going to be uncomfortable because we have booze here? Like, still people ask me, like, are you okay if I have a glass of wine? And I'm like, do you think I'm going to, like, reach over and, like, bite your neck off? Like, I right. – like, I, and I – and I don't really blame them. It's right. weird in this culture. It's unusual yeah. to not yes. drink. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So yep. I just say, yeah, I just, I just order, I usually don't say anything. I just order yeah. a sparkling water. Sometimes if I'm feeling really frisky, I order a Shirley Temple. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you though, it's easier to have some kind of drink in your hand though. Yes. Instead agreed. of it not be obvious that you are, it's yep. like being naked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think, yeah. Having your go-to is super helpful. You know, depending on who, like how I know the person, it's like, listen, I'll say, look, I, I did enough drinking in my teens and twenties and early thirties to take the rest of my lifetime off. You know, like, yeah. Uh, and like, sometimes I'll say something <laughs> like just to kind of make kind of make fun of myself. Maybe it's a little self-deprecating, but like I have said a few times, like, trust me, you don't want me drinking. Cause I'm going to end up flirting with your husband and nobody <laughs> wants that. Cause I was that girl. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> I was making bad choices. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah. No more for me. So kind of on the same topic, but you talk a lot about pivot point moments as helpful for women trying to discover their soul's calling and their big why. So can you explain that? Yeah. So those pivot point moments are those, those stakes that you put in the ground where you say, you know, I'm done. I'm mm-hmm. moving forward. Like I'm, you know, I'm not drinking anymore or I'm moving to New York city or I'm breaking up with this boyfriend or I'm quitting this job. Those moments where you feel like kind of the seas part and you see the way. Mm-hmm. And so when we can look back in our lives and sometimes they may just feel like not even like huge monumental things, but maybe it's that day where you say, enough. I will not, you know, shit on myself anymore. Right. I will not say yes when really the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Like whatever kind of that place, that time where you, the lesson was finally learned, right? Finally. Like mm-hmm. the message was received and you took the action to show that you freaking learned, that you freaking received the message. So when we can go back and you can even, you know, create like a treasure map, if you will, you plot out some of those points on a big piece of paper, big poster board or something. And you notice the themes and the trends and you say, wow, I see what those connection points are now. I see that I was always driven to help people. You know, for me, Andrea, it was like my big quest in life was to figure out what the heck am I doing with my career? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like that was my big, like, oh, I'm so frustrated because I would get all the thing that I thought I wanted and I would have success in the job. I felt hollow inside. I felt unfulfilled. And that was debilitating for me because I want to work. I enjoy it. I was always that ambitious gal. It wasn't like, well, I'm just going to get married and have babies and I won't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that was never on the table. Like that was not going to happen. And yet I couldn't figure out what the frick I was put here to do. And so it was, and I think, you know, some of the drinking and the drugs was like, I could avoid some of that stuff. You know, I could avoid it. And when I was able to go back and trace those pivot point moments, trace the fact that, you know, I was, when I was a young girl, I was a girl softball player and I loved being a part of a team. I loved like we cheered for each other. And then I got into cheerleading. And so it was always like that raw, you can do it. You know, we'd be down by 40 points and like, that's okay. Cause like, we're going to do it. And so I was that cheerleader. I was the yearbook editor. I was always telling stories. Then I got into college, just kind of looking at some of those moments, things that I was great at. I was the president of this the head of that, a great writer, a great, somebody who could always kind of sift through lots of pieces of data to figure out like what the real bottom line was. What's really the story here? What's the root of the matter? What's the root of the issue? And so as I would tracing all those points and then going into yoga, realizing, wow, it's like a pathway to the truth. And I started seeing like, there is a golden thread here. And that thread eventually brought me to coaching. You know, it Mm -hmm. brought me to like, wow, I didn't even know that this was, this existed. Mm -hmm. And then once I found it, it was like all those pivot point moments got me to that place in time, even the deaths of my sister and then my friends. It was like the message that we just never know when our last breath is going to come. And so you better make every day count, which is a lot of like what my message is as a coach, as a leader of this mission. I saw all those kind of arrows for pointing me to the field of coaching. And it was through that discovery that I trained to become a coach and now even have my own coaching school, which just blows my mind that this is what I'm doing. It's through those pivot point moments that I was able to kind of follow that golden brick road and find my way. And so for a lot of my people who find me, they're trying to find what it is they're meant here to do. And so I say, go find those pivot point moments. Most of them have what I call raw talent. 
you know, they're like great writers. They're really, you know, they have this powerful message. They've had something really hard happen to them, right? These Mm -hmm. traumas. And so let's go back and trace all that stuff. And for many of them, they are cut out to be coaches, you know? And so those are a lot of the people that I'm drawing into my world now because that's been the path that I've been on, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we often draw people into our world who are following somewhat of a, a similar path. So for all you listeners out there, go find those pivot point moments, those times when you were like, Oh, you know, the angel started singing and you realize, okay, wow, I'm going to take this step forward. Because for many people, Andrew, they just sit in inertia for like years. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On a decision. And that, it frustrates me so much. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, just make a move, you know, make a move. Mm -hmm. It's through that movement. You know, you can't steer a parked car. And so when you're willing to just make a move, take a chance on yourself and trust that, you know, just really trust that, trust that you're not alone. You've got, you know, the universe has your back, like Gabby Bernstein has a new book coming out by that title and just really do your best to treat your body like a temple. Yeah. You know, treat your body like a temple. That's really the root of like why I let go of alcohol and then the drugs earlier on was I was just like just treating my body like shit, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. even with past relationships, you know, my sexual past, like I look back and it was just, I was so lost. I was so broken. And that was the root of me just, you know, not loving myself, not mm-hmm. like loving my body. And I think when we really just eyes open, find a practice that, that allows you to treat yourself just beautifully. And for me, it's yoga. I also got into hiking recently, Andrea, because I I live in the mountains in Mm -hmm. Western Massachusetts now. And that's where I just commune with nature. Oh my God. Well, it sounds like, you know, when when you were talking in the beginning about like drawing the line in the sand and, you know, being done with certain things and making these kind of, you know, pivot moments, making a decision, it sounds like it was, you're honoring your intuition for one, you know, especially that's what it sounds like when you got sober, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? Yes. I and mean, it's just direct. I talk about that. I have a book called Get Gutsy and I talk about inner voice versus inner critic. Mm-hmm. And so it's that the more that I have like gone on this spiritual path. And then for me, it was like, yeah, that choice of like just letting go of alcohol. I knew when I did that, my inner voice, I would be able to hear it even more clearly. Yeah. And the more that I've listened, like the greater my life has become. Yes. <laughs> I often get the question, which I'm sure you do too, is like, what if I don't know if it's the voice of fear and the voice of, which I'm sure you write about that and get gutsy. And, but here's what I wanted just to say about that is that, cause I love that you also said sometimes, you know, you need to just make a move. <laughs> That's what I tell people. I mean, sometimes you agonizing over which voice it is, is keeping you stuck. Yes. So just decide and just know that even if it's the quote unquote wrong decision, you're yeah. going to learn something from it and you can yeah. change course. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I used to do that. I used to be like, I don't know which voice it is. And just right. ask, ask all my friends and want reassurance and yes. like ask the universe. And like, you know, if I make this green light, then maybe <laughs> bargaining. <laughs> totally. Totally. And it's like the indecision is actually the voice of fear. Yeah. You know, that's the voice of the oppressor because it's that, that voice is saying, well, you're going to make the wrong decisions. So why don't you just wait and you should collect some more data and you should do these we things. Want because certainty. You, we do. And that's freaking impossible. Right. <laughs> Damn, yeah. Change. The only certainty is that there isn't any, you know? Yeah. And so you just, you know, if we really, if we were to know the ending of the story, 
come on, it would take all the mystery and, and like the fun out of it. You don't want to know the end of the movie. You don't want to know the end of the book. Right. You want to be engaged in the journey and trust that no matter what comes your way, you're going to be able to handle it. And even if you have, you know, some idea of how you want things to turn out, when you really put your faith in God, in the universe, in source, it's going to be gazillions of times even better than that. Mm-hmm. Because we can't, you know, with our rational minds, we can only go so far. Right. I know. I know. Darn it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. That's a good thing, you know? And so I think it is. It's like, I mean, that's really so much of my work now, Andrew. It's like, oh my gosh, just make a decision. Just make the decision. But, you know, yeah, love versus fear, expansion versus contraction. And you know what? You're allowed to be afraid. And yes. still make that yes. move. You are allowed to be. You afraid. should be. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, people are like, well, I'm afraid. Awesome. Being that human. tells me you're alive. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. You're one of us. You're human right now. Okay, good. Don't go numb that table. fear either. Yes. You and know, and I think that's the tendency. And I think that's why a lot of people turn to substances, mm-hmm. turn to addictions. And there's plenty to go around. And most, a lot of the addictions, Andrea, are like, celebrated slash legal slash readily available, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like shopping or the internet. You know, I've had to check myself too around things. You know, it's like Gabby Bernstein will say that, are you getting high off your supply? And so, you know, what, just really checking like, okay, you know, am I getting high off of this right now? Am I really just like needing that fix from like going onto Facebook? Or Mm -hmm. like, do I think this shirt is going to take my troubles away? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So just really checking in. Yeah, sometimes these pants really are going to be a home run because right. I'm going to yeah. wear them in XYZ. I'm going to wear them for a photo shoot or something like that. But to really keep it all in check, that has been, you know, that's going to be an ongoing process for me who has like an addictive patterns who comes from, you know, have addiction in my genetic line. I'm going to, I really have to just keep my eyes open around that. Turn to the serenity prayer, you know, just turn things over, turn things over. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah, that was a big part of what we were talking about on yesterday's podcast too, about surrender. And oh my gosh, we could have a whole whole conversation about that. But I want everyone to go to the show notes and you can get links to Jenny's book and go visit her on her website if you're interested in any and all of the things that we talked about today. And Jenny, tell people how what's, what is the best way to come and say hi to you and check out all of your stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, my main website is Jenny Fennig dot com. So that's kind of like the main headquarters. You know, if any of the listeners just want to, I'm guessing, Andrea, like a lot of your people are, you know, some of them are into entrepreneurship. Some are really just finding their way, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of your people are finding your way. So, you know, something that I put together in honor of when my book came out, because I realized that too. I think once you find your calling, you, I honestly, I I still sometimes forget that not everybody knows what theirs is. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, there's still people who don't know. And I remember how terrifying that felt for me Mm -hmm. for those of us who know that we do have one. And so I put together this just really simple, like one page guide to how to like find and live your soul's calling in the world. So if your listeners want to grab that, it's at jennyfennig.com slash calling. That's jennyfennig.com slash calling. And it's just a real simple way to just go through a process to feel like you're on that right path. When we feel like we're on the path, that's when we get that courage up to leave some of those unhealthy patterns behind. When we know like, okay, we're on the right path. It's really 
for me, it was like a horrible feeling. Like I'm totally on the wrong road here. Mm-hmm. Like I've taken a wrong turn. I don't know where the <laughs> I F I am. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> I don't like what I'm seeing right now. So when you know you're on that path, I mean, certainly there's ways that we fall off course. Then we can just come back on the path, come back on the path, come back on the path. But yeah, jennyfennigcom slash calling might be helpful for some of your listeners. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for having it and for your courage to, you know, speak out and for giving me that opportunity. I've only, you know, I'm again, like May of 2015, where, you know, I've made this decision and it feels really good. And there's times, like you said, where you're, you know, in there's some of those situations where you're like, okay, I kind of feel like the odd man out here. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. here's the deal. What I've realized, Andrea, you know, when we've identified as leaders and, you know, we're here to do something significant, we are the minority, you know, we are, it's just, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just say yes to that. And so we also need to say yes to being, you know, quote, in the minority, quote, the odd man out in other areas too. And if it's recovery, then awesome, you know, join the club. It's a great road. I'm really glad to saved you a seat. Yeah, exactly. And thank you for helping me along my journey, Andrea. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And so please, everybody go check out the show notes and grab Jenny's freebie over on her website. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 